a very good evening to you. Once again to Sweet and Swing here on Mike's Radio. You know the time, you know the place. I'm Howard Kane. Lovely to have your company. This evening. More jazzing the classics. Flanders and Spawn continuing our retrospective, of course. Some of the Harmony Hounds with their hot licks. Putney Dandridge. Not a dip for a while. And to start off... Is that a robin? I see. many robins round at the moment. Uh, might be though, who knows, plenty of bird life but uh, more starlings in my garden and uh, th- house sparrows and that's going to see the odd thrush but house sparrows as well. Listening to one the other day and watching one having a bath and the starling, the same starling has been visiting my house I think it's the same, 
coming to the same place in any case, a little hole by the corner of the weatherboard at the back, the back of the garage, where he can sort of squeeze in and make a little nesting spot in there. And uh, there's been someone, I'm taking it, the same starling, or one of its progeny, for at least the last seven or eight years. Arrives, has a nest there, some fledglings come out, and then it all goes quiet again. Of course, there's a bit of poo on the balcony, but other than that, I don't think it does any damage, you know, and it's uh, lovely to watch them. Robins, well, they're all year round, I think, aren't they, here in the Isle of Man? Whatever you're watching, whether it's robins, birds or bikes, I hope you're surviving okay, as we have the uh, probably busiest two weeks of the year here on the Isle of Man, I dare say, love it or hate it. And as we were saying the other week, some people embrace it and other people I know have gone to sunnier climes to escape it altogether. Your choice, I suppose. You can still listen to Sweden's Wing. Just pop the podcast on or listen online in one way or another. Lovely to have your company as ever. When the red, red robin comes bob, bob, bobbing along. And uh, the Sunny Siders, I think they went on. Did they sing? The Sunny Siders certainly went on to sing in the 50s, whether it was the same Sunny Siders. Uh, singing there with Lou Prager or not, I don't actually know. Uh, there were Sunnysiders who got to number 12 in the Billboard charts in 1955, so it's not unusual um, that it could have been them. But there again, there could have been more than one lot of Sunnysiders. I'm thinking it might well be the same group, a vocal trio, American, but it's a popular name, I'd imagine, the Sunnysiders. You can imagine there might be more than one throughout the United States. And no more details on that given on the recording, other than the fact it was the Sunnysiders, and it definitely was Lou Prager uh, and the boys playing in the band to get us going there with a nice cheerful number. I can also say this is definitely going to be Frank Weir next. Surrender.
have slept without a kiss. Surrender, I beg you, surrender. How long can your heart resist me? I'll bring you, bring you a love you can cling to. A love that won't be untrue. So please be tender, why don't you surrender to me? Love me as I love you. Won't you surrender, darling? Be mine. Surrender. Uh, you might want to do that by the end of TT Week or TT Fortnight. I don't know. Frank Weir. Uh, with his band there. Frank Weir, yeah, one of those sort of unsung heroes in many ways. Very popular at his time. Worked with uh, Jack Hilton and Howard Jacobs during the war and then became a leader himself and toured afterwards with his big band, which included a uh, relatively young, oh, I suppose he'd be sort of uh, getting on a wee bit then, George Shearing. Yeah, George Shearing played with Frank Weir and the boys. I'm just trying to think, yeah, well, he would have been probably in his 20s or 30s by then, wouldn't he, by the 50s? He must have been well into his 30s or uh, perhaps a bit older than that, mid-30s, something along those lines. A great sound in any case and a great tune as well. Surrender. Uh, and Frank Weir, well, he, like I said, was popular, but as we say so often, you get tired of saying it on this programme, don't you? How many people remember Frank Weir now? And the answer is, not very many. A very melodic band, possibly heading towards almost Morris territory, light music, but uh, did some more sort of commercial stuff as well. And none the worse for that. Still sounding rather nice, I have to say, on that one. I rather enjoyed it. Surrender, of course. And uh, just looking, I think it was Johnny Carroll was doing the vocals on that one. Am I right? Was it Johnny Carroll? Something along those lines? I feel that's pretty much right. Uh, oh, it hasn't got the details. Yes, it has. Here we go. Surrender. It was Johnny Carroll. Johnny Carroll and the Radio Revelers. There we are. And it was lurking around there somewhere. A nice sound. It has a sort of vague 50s sound to it, doesn't it? And they're American, even though Frank Weir himself was British. Artie Shaw. Now, we often ref- refer to Artie Shaw. We haven't played any for a while. And I was riffling through the racks for this show, and I thought, that's some Artie. We're going to have some. In fact, I'm going to make amends by playing a bit of his... Um, Concerto for clarinet. Bit of a longer piece. Time to go make some cocoa or something stronger, should you wish. While this one's on Artie Shaw, some of his classic tracks, all sorts on this one, Begin the Begin and Any Old Time, uh, Indian Love Call. But yeah, what about his concerto for clarinet? The old perfectionist himself.
dog. He could play, couldn't he? He could play uh, an incredible musician, an incredible man in many ways. The great Artie Shaw, and uh, that's his clarinet or concerto for clarinet. Great piece, actually, isn't it? A bit of swing, a bit of classical, all sorts of influences. And, of course, he was an early adopter of what uh, is now known as third stream, doing that blending, that mixing of jazz with the classical genre. Still uh, a tricky thing to pull off today, actually. Sometimes it's a bit clunky, and other times it can be very, very effective. And still practised uh, widely, uh, I would say, around the world and in various bands. Um, I can think of quite a few modern bands who've done something along those lines. Oregon, one of my favourite uh, world music bands, have done some sort of third-streamy things. But Artie Shaw was there long before that, back in the 1950s. An incredible character and an incredible player, widely regarded as one of the jazz's finest clarinetists, but famously jacked it all in because he just didn't like the business. Um, and liked playing and he loved the music but didn't like the whole business and whatever i don't even know whether the money interested him that much uh, i'll give you a i'll give you a quick starter for 10 so for your starter for 10 can you tell me the link between james bond and artie shaw no i don't know whether i would have got this one actually um it's slightly loose but an interesting one in any case he was um his music influenced all sorts of people and uh, it is believed although i don't know anyone could positively prove it now these days but uh, monty norman uh, who did the uh, james bond theme features a vamp uh, very much or quite possibly influenced by shaw's 1938 recording of nightmare i'll have to go back and have a listen see if you can pick that one out uh, super successful in his time he was a, a, a brilliant musician as you heard he was a composer a clarinetist a band leader an actor he did stuff on tv and film as well also an author of fiction and non-fiction and incredibly academic uh, in many ways as well all of which meant that he was very successful uh, in his prime and i love this figure i might have possibly quoted it before at some stage, I can't remember. But uh, in his prime, in 1940, at the height of his popularity, at the age of 30, he was earning up to $60,000 a week. $60,000 a week in 1940. I don't know what that is in today's money, but we must be talking millions, I'd imagine. Amazing. In contrast, I, I see here, George Burns, the famous comedian Gracie Allen, were making around $5,000 a week. And they were pretty much at the peak of their fame then, I thought. Amazing, isn't it? $60,000 a week in 1940. But he didn't actually like the whole business which goes with showbiz and music and everything else. He told Metronome magazine, I don't like the business of music. I'm unhappy in the music business. Maybe I don't even belong to it. I like the music part. But for me, the business part just plain stinks. Didn't like it at all. And so he decided he would uh, quit, basically. He would uh, quit the band. He told his agents he was walking away from a big band, a uh, big band that he had, the one we've just heard, I think. His agents warned him he couldn't do that. He had a million dollars in contracts that had to be honoured. Shaw said he didn't care and said, tell them I'm insane. A nice young American boy walking away from a million dollars. Wouldn't you call that insane? He broke up the Hollywood band but kept uh, seven odd musicians together and then went on to form another big band with seven brass, five sexes, four rhythm, 15 strings. Um, he performed and was actually a great sort of razor, keeping the spirits up during the war. Uh, and also, as I say, was a great academic and loved studying other things, particularly later on in life, 
including advanced mathematics. A brilliant shot as well, a marksman at one stage. He was one of the fourth best shots in competitions in the whole of the United States. And in between all that, somehow or other, he managed to get married eight times. Eight times. Makes Richard Burton look like an amateur. Two marriages were annulled. All the others ended in divorce. He started out marrying his first wife, Jane Cairns, in 1932. And uh, I think his last one was uh, Evelyn Keyes in 1957. Must have been getting the hang of it by then, you'd have thought, wasn't you? Amazing. uh, An amazing character and uh, amazing music. Yes, we haven't heard him for a long time, so I thought we'd have that longer form piece. From the sublime to the ridiculous, as they say. Flanders and Swan, they were both super talented as well, but in a different way, doing their wonderful reviews. At the drop of a hat, we've been dropping into with their various songs from their first famous album, and we might have some from the drop of another hat from this box set as well. I'm trying to mix up the well-known with the not-so-well-known. It's going to be a well-known week this week. Everyone knows this one. very first of the animal songs, some people think the title of this song is irrelevant. But it's not irrelevant, it's a hippopotamus. A bone hippopotamus was standing one day On the banks of the cool Shalimar He gazed at the bottom as it peacefully lay By the light of the evening star Away on a hilltop sat combing her hair His fair hippopotamine maid The hippopotamus was no ignoramus and sang her this sweet serenade. Mud, mud, glorious mud, nothing quite like it for cooling the blood. So follow me, follow, down to the hollow, and there let us wallow in glorious mud. The fair hippopotamus he aimed to entice from her seat on that hilltop above. As she hadn't got a mar to give her advice, came tiptoeing down to her love. Like thunder, the forest re-echoed the sound of the song that they sang as they met. His enamorata adjusted her garter and lifted her voice in duet in Russian. Grands, grands, chudnya grands, lucia sredsa kakorvnya vas, tak vas mi svoju dam. Follow me, follow. I povedili jov jamu. Down to the hollow. I tamja kuljem sam chudnya grands. That will improve our cultural relations. I wonder now what am I to say of the scene. That ensued by the Shalimar side. They dived all at once with an ear-splitting splosh. Then rose to the surface again. A regular army of hippopotami. All singing this haunting refrain. That's you. Absolutely classic stuff. Mud, mud, glorious mud, sung 
in Russian as well as English. Very fun, very funny, both very bright, both Oxford or, uh, yes, uh, Oxbridge educated. I think they both went to Oxford, if memory serves correct. And the Russian, well, not just coincidental, and it would be very accurate because Donald Swan was actually part Russian, as it were. He was born in Clenelly, or Clenethly, I think that is, isn't it? If I get it right, Clenethly? That sounds better, doesn't it? 1923. Uh, but the percentage of British blood in him, fairly small, it's claimed. The swans migrated from Clethley to St. Petersburg in the 18th century uh, and became Russified. Uh, Donald's father was a doctor, born and bred in Russia, where he married a Muslim nurse of nomad stock from Transcaspia. Uh, they escaped from the revolution and Dr. Herbert Swan had a practice in Wales when Donald made his debut in the world, but he was then, of course, brought up in London in Elephanton Castle, coming from that great Russified stock, I guess, and went to be a, a King's Scholar at Westminster and had a long, lifelong interest in music, entirely classical up until the outbreak of World War Two, and uh, had no interest in jazz or light music or cabaret or anything like that. Uh, it was great fun, it was always great fun, I'm told, but... Um, it was really the war, I think, when he went out and he was out in the uh, Near East. And maybe it was war, maybe it was just sort of that, I don't know, an incredible time, I suppose. Whichever way he looked at it, it must have affected him because he, he came back and had changed quite a bit um, and was enjoying more popular things, folk musics and jazzy stuff and rhythms in fives and sevens as well as just straight uh, threes and fours as you might find in the classical genre. And uh, then went on to, uh, I think he eventually did, get into Oxford, didn't go back to Oxford to study because the Christchurch apparently refused his re-entry but he met, uh, Donald Swan uh, met up with uh, Michael Flanders um, at Worcester College, in fact I think I've got it wrong there, I think it's Flanders who was refused uh, entry to go back to study there but they met at Worcester and then started writing review music and the rest as they say is history, terrific stuff, we'll be having more from Flanders and Swan in uh, the coming weeks. So something unusual next week, something a little less heard. Uh, still to come, more of our jazzing the classics and uh, a man you might not have heard. I have played him once before, actually, on the show, many moons back. Putney Dandridge, worth playing for the name alone, but one of those forgotten stars uh, on the piano. Wonderful player. Uh, but before all that, we'll have a bit of this.
There you go, your little twofer for this week. Uh, the second one there was, you might have recognised, Little Brown Jug, Billy May and his orchestra. And before that, the old Harmony Hounds. I was having a bit of Morris-like trouble with the CD on that one. Didn't want to play at all, but uh, there we got there in the end. Um, and that was a South Wind, the Harmony Hounds, uh, which uh, are made up. I may as well give them a shout-out. My name, Mike Burns, who uh, is listed as Trumpet and Camel Call. I wonder what song that one's on. Camel Call? What's he doing? Oh, Somewhere in the Sahara. Must be on that, mustn't it? Uh, also, vocal assistants. Uh, John Hallam, uh, clarinet and alto sax. Uh, Colin Turner bass. Uh, Chris Howes, banjo, guitar and uh, vocals in the Harmony Hounds. And then uh, Billy May and his orchestra. A little brown jug. Yeah. Nice little twofer. We like a, a twofer. Billy May, well, uh, a composer. American, of course. Composer, arranger, trumpeter. Did all sorts of TV work, including uh, the Batgirl theme from Batman. That was one of Billy Mays. I don't think he did the Batman theme itself, I'm fairly certain. He did the Mod Squad. He did do the music for the Green Hornet. They used to have the Green Hornet car. A dinky one might still have it somewhere. You remember the Green Hornet? Very good. He did the music from Naked City and wrote for, well, you name it. He wrote for some of the biggest names in the business, Frank Sinatra. He did arrangements for Frank, he did arrangements for Nat King Cole, Anitro Day, Peggy Lee, Bobby Darren, Johnny Mercer, Ella Fitzgerald, Jack Jones, Bing Crosby, Rosemary Clooney. You get the uh, picture. You might not remember his name as well as the rest of them, but he was up there uh, doing some of the very, very best. Or played with a lot of the very, very best. And also uh, playing the big band era, playing in the 1940s as a trumpet player. Uh, I think he played with Glenn Miller at one stage as well. Terrific uh, character, agree. Terrific player, great composer, but perhaps hidden behind some of those even bigger names. So perhaps, again, not as well known as... Well, I suppose he doesn't really care now, does he? He's no longer around. He's probably looking down, just sniggering away, thinking, well, I had good fun. At least my music's still getting played. Speaking of having good fun, the music getting played, uh, a gentleman who was no stranger to the Isle of Man... <laughs> particularly at this time of the year. And it's got to be done, I suppose, hasn't it? I mean, can you really go through TT Fortnight and not have a bit of George Formby? And it's, well, there's only one place you can really play, isn't it, George? He can, he can sort of introduce himself. Here he is on the steamer getting ready to play the song you've got to play on the ukulele banjo when it comes to TT time of year. You know, I'll have that tomorrow, eh? I'll have that Easier than hopscotch beating all the top-notch cases. 
Once my bike was hard to ride, but I didn't mind Until I found it hitched two scarabangs on behind Everybody's scaring, I am such a daring rider My inside rattles when I go the pace My ribs begin to shake about, there's all my spare parts sticking out So come along, see me riding the DB from the boat docked <laughs> a little snippet from the TT races yes uh, George Formby who else uh, sorry for that if you're not a George fan but you know what I have sneaky admiration for George or they quite liked it and you can't not play a bit of George Formby during TT fortnight now I promised you a bit of this man Putney Dandridge uh, a wonderful uh, player but who's heard of him uh, amazing really when you think of the name you'd have thought it stuck wouldn't you Putney Dandridge I love a little note here from the back of the CD from the wonderful, the one and only Dizzy Gillespie, who says it's a great idea to bring back this music from the Middle Ages. There's plenty of surprise in there for today's musicians. Well, let's find out. You're a heavenly thing. Took the moonlight out of the sky Put the moonlight right in your eyes Like the night, you a heavenly thing
He could play, couldn't he? He could sing as well, actually. Great fun, great sounding. The recording quality really vibrant there. A bit of hiss, but really sounds actually clear. You can hear all the instruments. They're well balanced, well to the fore in the mix. It doesn't sound at all uh, as old as it actually might be. Putney Dandridge, a rare collection. A double CD, actually, this. Or oh, breathe not a word of it abroad, but someone made a copy for the old maestro of this one, complete with all the notes here as well. Someone did a good job. Might have been Brian. Hello, Brian, if you're listening. Um... A double CD with a complete chronology, including all of the alternate takes of the small band sides made under the leadership of Putney Dandridge, a singer and pianist, and he regularly performed with some of the greatest of all the jazz names, Henry Red Allen, Roy Eldridge, uh, Chew Berry, Teddy Wilson, all captured in these rare performances. And uh, that one we heard there was your A Heavenly Thing. Wonderful player, too, he, and uh, 1935, that was recorded. And uh, sort of drawing a, a painting of him on the front in a white jacket. A fine character and a good player. We might play it. I'll keep that one in the back, shall I? Yeah, we'll play a little bit more of that uh, maybe next week or the week after. Quite enjoyed that. Great voice and great fun as well. Jazzing the Classics, that's another one of our regular ones at the moment. We've been uh, working our way through this little collection uh, piece by piece. So it's uh, a lot of the, well... Classics all jazzed up, as they say. Chopin, Tchaikovsky, Rachmaninoff, Rimsky-Korsakoff. We've got Flight of the Bumblebee on this. Uh, we'll do that. Uh, well, maybe we'll do that next week. This week, I think we'll have a bit of... We mentioned a Frank earlier on, I think, didn't we? Uh, in En passant, as they say. Full moon and empty arms. Uh, Frank Sinatra. <laughs> Full moon and empty arms The moon is there for us to share But where are you? A night like this Could we a memory and every kiss could start a dream for two full moon and empty arms Tonight I'll use the magic moon to wish upon And the next full moon If my one wish comes true My empty
must admit full moon and empty arms uh, Kay Mossman um, well, it's, it's after Rachmaninoff really piano concerto number two if you're close enough to remember that Frank Sinatra there though with that take of full moon and empty arms with Alex Stordel and his orchestra recorded in New York in November of 1945 we're almost out of time again tell you what if I don't wobble too much uh, we can squeeze something in what do I want oh I know I want my mama
go on. Harry Roy and his band, and that was indeed Harry Roy's voice you heard there. I want my mama from Dancing at the Palais. Which palais? Well, of course, the Hammersmith Palais, or the Hammersmith Palais de Danse, to give it its grand title. The uh, original American jazz group, that's the original Dixieland Jazz Band, started out there. They did nine months in November of 1919, and then the management replaced them, and they left with the original Lyric 5, featuring brothers Sid and Harry Roy, like the sort of virtuals of light music. And a few years later, of course, Harry became leader of the group and soon established as a top-line attraction, headlining shows throughout the capital at the London Palladium and at the Palais and enjoying prestigious engagements such as three years at the Mayfair Hotel in London's West End. Ah, those were the days. Be lucky to get a pianist you've never heard of there these days, I'd imagine. There we go, that's about it. Normality resumes next week. Uh, but fear not, we will carry on in the same time, in the same place. Until then, cheerio. La, la, la.